One-third of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, are on and about the final week of Jesus' life. It's called Holy Week, and that's where we're in this series of Holy Week, walking towards Easter. On, on Sunday, Jesus entered with Palm Sunday, entered into Jerusalem. You remember this? Paul taught about it. And, and instead, he, he came in a humility on a donkey because he's a different kind of king, bringing a different kind of kingdom, calling his followers to some different kind of lifestyles. Then Monday and Tuesday, this was last week, Jesus went toe-to-toe with the religious leaders in the synagogue. Remember that? And it was challenging us about religious, uh, having a religious spirit and how Jesus is so against a religious spirit and humbling ourselves, and we checked ourselves on a number of things. So today, you have Monday, Tuesday was last week. Today is Wednesday. Does anybody know what happens on Wednesday in Holy Week? That's the right answer. Like nothing happens. Is, 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 there, there, there is, some people say nothing happens on, on Wednesday. And so it's called, so throughout church history, on the Wednesday of Holy Week, they call it Silent Wednesday. Because, because it's that Jesus, it seems that Jesus was in Bethany, didn't come into Jerusalem that day. And it's like he rested. Thursday is going to hit, and that's, you know, Last Supper and huge. But so. Church throughout history has celebrated it in one of two ways, either Silent Wednesday or the other way is Spy Wednesday. Dun, 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 dun. Spy Wednesday. And why it's Spy Wednesday is because that the one thing as we read the Gospels, the one account that it seems like likely maybe possibly happened on this day was Judas goes and he goes to the chief chief priests and, and those religious leaders, and, and, he, and he says, hey, I, I will turn him in for you. Will you give me some money? Yeah, we'll give you some, we'll give you some money. And, and so today, we are gonna, I was like, as I prayed about it, I, I genuinely prayed, I was like, Lord, should we do Silent Wednesday or should we do Spy Wednesday? We're going Spy Wednesday. Woo! All right? Get ready. Uh, let me read this scripture. Luke chapter 22, verses 3 through 6. This is what happened on this day. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. Judas went to the chief priests and to the officers of the temple guard, and he discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted, and they agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Most of us know what happens after Wednesday. Thursday is the Last Supper. Jesus has dinner with his closest, with his disciples. He washes their feet. He teaches them profound insights about how to love one another. He institutes communion and the Last Supper. Next week, Drew is going to be pushing into Thursday and teaching on Thursday and really focused on the Last Supper. And then Jesus goes out. 
he, he, he goes to the Mount of Olives. He prays because he knows what's coming. He says, God, take this cup from me. He's like sweating. He says, you guys stay with me. They fall asleep. His closest friends in his time of agony fall asleep. Then Judas comes with those chief priests. And, and what's he do? He betrays Jesus with a kiss. He then gets pulled in with those religious leaders and taken in. He's denied by his friends. Peter, hey, weren't you with him? Peter says, no, 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 I do not know him. He's unjustly accused. This, you did this, you said this. He says nothing. He's mocked, spit upon, ridiculed, dressed in a purple robe and a crown of thorns. He's slapped. He's punched in the face. He's condemned by a riotous crowd. A guilty man, a man who everyone knew committed murder, is set free. Jesus, the innocent man, is condemned. He's flogged. He's whipped. Flesh torn from his body. He, he carries the cross, and then someone else has to carry him, carry it for him because he's so beaten and weak. He's nailed to the wood. He's lifted up and crucified. And what's the first thing he says? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Jesus was betrayed, but he was not offended. Think if this would have looked a different way. Just think about this. Use your imagination. Think if it would have looked like this, that Jesus is out and, and, and praying, and all of a sudden Judas comes up and, and gives him a kiss, and, and, and the guards are there. And Judas, you jerk. How dare you do You know how much I was with you. You betray me with a kiss. Oh, he, he's denied by friends. What if he looked at Peter? Peter, you know how much I did for you? And now you're not even standing with me now? I can't believe this. That's what friendship was for you, Peter? Don't you remember what I did? He's unrightfully accused. That's not true. It's not you guys are lying. You're making this up. You guys are the bad guys, not me. He's mocked, spit upon, ridiculed. Don't, don't do that. Don't duh, duh, start spitting back at him. You know, he's dressed in a purple robe and a crown of thorns. Oh, I'm going to get you for this. Oh, you put that. Oh, you are going to pay for that. He's condemned by a crowd. He didn't argue. He didn't try to state his case. I mean, they're, they're saying what he did. You know, Jesus like, knows like, the sins of everyone. He could have looked out and just started saying, you know what you did, and you did, and you did. He didn't do any of that. He's flogged. He's whipped. I'm going to get you back for this. My father, oh, it's going to hurt so much worse. What you're doing to me, it's going to hurt so much worse. What, what's going to happen to you? He's crucified, put up there. Father, get him. Father, get him. They know what they're doing. Get him. Jesus was unoffendable. Let that sink in. He was not entitled. He was not about defending his rights. He did not get what he deserved, but he did not whine about it. Because living offended is a small way to live. And Jesus calls us 
into a much bigger way of life. He modeled it, and he invites us into it. So on Spy Wednesday, when Judas looked to betray and was looking for a way to betray, we are going to say, okay, Jesus was betrayed but not offended. And what does that mean for us? And what does that mean about offense in our life? Y'all, it's Lent, and this ain't easy time, okay? Brant Hansen, who wrote a book called Unoffendable, uh, has this line. He says, real humility lies in self-forgetfulness. Few want to hear this, but it's true, and it can be enormously helpful in life. If you are constantly being hurt, offended, or angered, you should honestly evaluate your inflamed ego. We, friends, are too easily offended because we are too much about ourselves. Said another way, we are easily offended because we don't really believe the gospel. We don't really live a spirit-led life. And so we live for ourselves, and our little life becomes the main narrative of our story. But God's ways are better, and he offers us more. I have many ways where I am offended too easily. Uh, often they're little paper cut offenses. You know what I mean? Those, just those little jabs, those little things. And I know God has more for me and sometimes I, I can beat myself up a little bit too much. Like, oh, I can't believe I'm, that angered me. I can't believe I was triggered by that. I can't, like these little paper cut offenses. I'm like, come on, God. I also, as I was sitting in this the last week, I want to speak honestly in a way I don't do that much. I, I want to speak honestly about what God has done in me and how he has formed me. I, I have been looked over for a promotion uh, many times. And then I've been placed in a situation where I needed to honor those who got the job and come under and serve them. And I did. And God gave me the strength. I, I have looked into a friend's eyes who I wronged and who I hurt. And I've asked for forgiveness. And I've received it. God gave the strength to do it. I've had major offense and division with a mentor and a friend that took heavy mediation to resolve. It was hard. We ended on our knees praying for forgiveness and sharing communion together. God gave us the strength. We repented. I have literally washed the feet of those who hurt me and those whom I have hurt. God gave us the strength, and he was honored. My feet have been washed by those that my flesh wanted to be angry with. God's ways healed. Offense and bitterness does not have the final word in my life. Why? Because I've surrendered my life to God's bigger purposes and ways, and I am not the center of my story. He is. Hebrews 12, 15 says this, 
See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. Many are defiled because they hold on to offense, and it sprouts, and it grows, and it grows into resentment, and it grows into bitterness, which then multiplies and begins to control your life. I know people who live virtually alone because the root of bitterness has taken over, defiled, and controlled them. Do you know people like that? Is that how you are in any ways? Jesus said, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people are not easily offended. A measure of maturity is our ability to overlook an offense in marriage, at work, with your neighbors, your family, your kids, your friendships. Proverbs 19.11 said, Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it's his glory to overlook an offense. Are you able to overlook an offense? When someone says something derogatory, something inciting, something false about you, and you feel that sense of justice, which actually might be just an inflamed ego, but let's call it just, we want to call it justice. How able are you to overlook an offense? John Bevere wrote a book called The Bait of Satan. His premise is that offense is the bait of Satan, the trap of the deceiver, to cause division and derail the purposes of God in our lives, in the life of a family, in the life of a church. And he creates his premise from Scripture. Matthew 18.7, Jesus says this, and some of your translations will say, use different words, so I'm using the, the, new, uh, the New King James Version, but it says this, Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offenses come. Woe to the world because of offenses. The word for offense in the original language here is scandalon. It's where we get our English word scandal or scandalize. And what it literally is, is scandalon is a trigger or a snare for a trap. Okay, so think, think you're like common mousetrap. Um, not the sticky glue ones, because those are like cruel, but um, it's good to just kill fast. Um, you know your mousetrap, and in the old ones, and uh, it's got that thing where you put the peanut butter or, or the cheese, that, and, and he comes up, and the cute little guy eats that, and wham! That, that, that where you put the peanut butter it is like the trigger. It, it, it's, it, it triggers for the snare of the trap. Scandalon. When we take the bait of offense, when we take the bait of offense, it ensnares us. We become offended. We start to blame. We get angry, bitter, resentful, hateful. 
It's the bait of Satan. He wants you to take the cheese. He wants you to be offended. When you bump into each other, he wants you to, ah, how dare you? Last week, I left church. I left this building uh, in the middle of the week, and I was driving my sports car, um, <laughs> the, the 2000 Subaru Outback, and, uh, and I was breaking the law. I'm going about 60, and it's 45 miles an hour. All of a sudden, I look in my rearview mirror, and there's this big truck, and it's on my tail. And it's not just on my tail. I mean, it's on my tail. And then he starts honking. And then there's a car next to me, so I couldn't, I couldn't get over. I was like, man. And then I, I was like, hey, I'm just going to scoot over because, you know, this guy's, something's going on. And then I was like, he was right on my tail honking, and I'm going 60. So I did what you should never do. And I hit my brakes. And then he went berserk. He went absolutely berserk and was going back and forth. And I was like, I immediately de-escalated. I was like, that was really stupid. I was like, I was like offended. You know, what, what's he doing? And I hit my brakes. He goes berserk. And then, and then the car next to me goes, it goes a little faster. He, and he cuts me off and zooms down. But we're on South Boulder Road. And there's like, you know, eight stoplights coming up. And so, in my nice sports car, um, he stops in front of me at a stoplight, and I'm coming behind him, and I'm like, huh, I wonder what's going to happen here. And uh, so, I, I lock my door, <laughs> just because you, you hear stories about this stuff. And, uh, and I lock my door, and, uh, and we stop, and he doesn't get out. I'm like, thank you, God. Uh, he doesn't get out. And, I, and so I kind of look into the rearview mirror, and he's not making eye contact. So we drive again, hit another stoplight, nothing. Then he gets, switches lanes, and we hit another stoplight. And, and I'm like, don't look, don't look. Well, I looked. And, uh, and he didn't look. He's just, he's just sitting there. And, and I, I came up, and I was like, I mean, you know what I was doing? I was going to the store to buy some sausage for dinner to come home to make dinner for my family. And I'm like, this guy, I, I don't know. He, is he going home to his kids and, and his wife? What kind of a day did he have that he was so fired up and wanted to go 70 or 80 down South Boulder to, to, get, to hit the stoplights first, you know? And, and, and thank God, it just de-escalated. And I felt like, this is so, you know, this is so nothing. And Lord, I'm so thankful that guy de-escalated. And, I, and I, I literally felt, you know how sometimes these stuff's in your heart's like, I, I felt totally calm. I was like, I was so stupid to be offended. Just get out of his way, Matt. You don't know what's going on in his life. Who are you? And, and to hit the brakes and to trigger him like that. Yesterday, I was at a track meet with Paul and Michelle. We were joking. Everything that went wrong, because they knew what I was preaching on this morning, everything that went wrong, what, what would we say? Offended. I'm offended. I am so offended. You know, the track meet was running an hour late. I am so offended that they don't even... Oh, man. On the two-mile, you got to hit the bell lap when the, last, when the first runner, and it's the bell lap, and they ring a bell. They didn't ring the bell. I was so offended. <laughs> and it, 
oh, there should be a clock. And so you, you pay all this money to have the timers, and there's a big clock. And you want to know, because they run all these heats, you want to know what time kids are running. The clock wasn't working. I was so offended. I was out there in the cold, and they couldn't even show me the times. Uh, and it was, man, we were just going. It was awesome. I mean, if you really look for it, you can get offended with everything. I have seen offenses split wonderful friendships, divide close families, and cut churches in half. Jesus was betrayed, but he did not pick up offense. What if followers of Jesus were the most unoffendable people in the world? I mean, you want to talk about people living a different way for a different king in a bigger story? And you know that verse that says, where two or three are gathered? You guys know this verse. Where two or three are gathered, what's it say? There I, there I am with you. Like, I, I am with you. I think that's, that verse is wrong. I think it should say, where two or three are gathered, there will be problems. <laughs> that's, how I, that's how I interpret it. Because we are all people in process, and we will offend one another. And in a church focused on authentic relationship with God and one another, where do you think the enemy will attack us most? Our home home and relationships, families, churches. The bait of Satan wants to divide people. So where are you ensnared right now? What offense has you by the neck? What may God be asking you to do about it. Okay, so I want to look at a process. This is simple. I think this is actually kind of powerful. Of course, with anything, it's what you do with it. But I want to look at a process. So turn your little sheets of paper over. It's time for fill in the blanks. Uh, I take this process from a guy named Ken Sandy who wrote Peacemaker, a biblical guide to resolving personal conflict. Uh, let's make up a scenario. Let's say I'm in a life group. Let's say I go to my life group that I'm a part of with this church. And it, it, it's like share time, and I decide to share something that's a little bit hard for me to share. It's a little bit vulnerable, and I'm kind of nervous to share it. I, sh- I share it. I share it. And this other person then afterwards says, hey, that, that's nothing. Let me tell you what happened to me. And they go for like five minutes and share this whole story about what happened to them. And then the group starts talking to them and and, and goes off and never says anything about what I shared. I'm offended. I'm offended that they kind of dismissed what I said. You start to get angry that this person made it about them. You want to pick up the offense. Why do I share at this thing? You start to tell a narrative, man, this group is selfish. They don't care about me. That person is selfish, untrustworthy. This, this, I can't trust this group. They, they didn't even stick up for me. You're offended. You have this small offense. And you guys know there's like a million scenarios we could share, stories we could make up. So process, a process The first thing to do, the first step is, can the offense be overlooked? He says, man, it's it's for your glory to be able to overlook an offense. 
Can it be overlooked? Can you genuinely do the work to let go of it and never have it affect you again? And, and when you are offended, you need to ask that question, can I just let it go? And you might want to, but the truth is you can't. It, it keeps nagging. And, and I've got to encourage you, you've got to deal with what is, not with what you hoped would be. Like, oh, I wish I could just let it go, but I keep waking up at night thinking about it. I, I wish I could let it go. A good Christian would do that, I, but um, this is nagging me. Maybe a good Christian, we need to erase that a little bit. And it's like, man, a good Christian is going to deal with what is, not just what they want to make up and make believe. So if you can let the offense go, if you can just let it pass, that's, that's excellent. Let it pass. Do the work and let it pass. If not, you're going to have some other steps. The next step, if you can't let it go, is to go higher. You've got to go higher than the situation in the instance. You've got to say, how can God be honored in this situation? How can God be honored in this situation? And maybe shift from this happened to me to this happened for me. Conflict is an opportunity for growth. Maybe when two or three are gathered, there will be problems. And how we handle those problems proves the presence and activity of God within us. Go higher. Third step. Get the log out of your own eye. Recognize your own sinfulness, brokenness, woundedness. What role did you play in this? I mean, just that scenario we played out that could happen in a life group. Like, man, if, if you get the log, you're like, I just wanted to be heard. And that person just wanted to be heard. I, I am not giving to them what I wanted them to give to me. I was offended because I wanted to be the center of attention. And I wanted to be cared for. And I have a hard time when others get it or even get it before me. I have a part to play. Get the log out of your own eye. Number four, go to the person. Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. We like jump to this one a lot. You got a lot of work before you go to the person. You see that? Peace breakers, a lot of times, especially if you jump right to it, I'm going to I'm gonna go talk to this person. Peace breakers go to someone, go to the person to beat them up, to win the argument, to win the war, to beat them up, to give them what they deserve. Peacekeepers don't go because they don't like confrontation, and that's weak. Peacemakers lean into conflict as an opportunity for growth and health. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. People who have the attributes of their father. Our staff, our church staff, has committed to being peacemakers and challenging one another that when there is offense, we've committed to going directly to the person. And we've committed to not avoiding conflict, but leaning into it. Too often what happens, I mean, even in, even in church staff, guys, like this person does something that hurts me or says something that makes me mad, and instead of going to them, I want to go to this other person and talk to them about it. What's this called? Triangulating. Hey, I, I, I want to, you know, Bob said something to me. I want to go talk to Sue about what Bob said instead of going to Bob. Do not triangulate. Sometimes you need an outside perspective to give you insight, and it's a thin line. Are you just talking about someone, or are you really getting help to be able to go to the person? In interpersonal conflict, anytime in interpersonal conflict, here's just another tool. This is like marriage, parenting, work, friendship. In any conflict, you statements are an attack. I statements are an expression. You did when you, you, you versus I. I felt I was. So now we have this. I'm going to give you this. I think it's maybe your final fill in the blank. It's a sentence. It's actually two sentences. I feel blank when you blank because blank. As a result, go back to our scenario. I, I felt hurt when you just talked after I shared and you didn't respond to me at all. Because that was really hard for me to share that. And, and I just needed some response. And as a result, I feel like I didn't even hear you and what you said. And I, and I feel bad for that. And I've also been, I've been kind of hurt and angry. And I feel like it could even divide me with our group. And so I want to just talk to you about it. And, and, and kind of confess that and talk about it. I feel hurt. I feel dismissed. I feel that is a powerful two sentences, you guys. If you could use that in your marriage, in your friendships. And if someone comes to you because you have offended them, see it as a great opportunity. Get over your pride that makes you want to defend yourself. Get present to the impact of your actions. Even if you did not intend to hurt someone or you didn't have malice. Listen, when somebody comes to you, be able to repent, apologize. Thank God for the opportunity to grow in humility and spiritual maturity. God's love gives us the ability to not be offended. And when we are offended to be peacemakers and reconcile with one another. Jesus was not offended. His spirit is in you. 
If you have invited Christ in, He is in you. And He has lavished a great love on us. We do not need to respond in self-centered self-protection. God will bring justice, and He wants to free you from the snare of bitterness. An experience of His love will free you from the prison of offense. And as He calls us to mature in our faith, especially us right now during this time of Lent, what does Jesus' display of God's love call you to set down and to pick up? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. What's He pointing out to you? What's He reminding you? Is there something He's calling you to do? Jesus is our model. He is our example. The enemy wants us to be easily offended. He wants us to be hurt, angry, resentful, and have a root of bitterness, grow up and control our life. Jesus wants us to be resilient, gentle, forgiving, able to be strong enough to lean into conflict and restore relationship to build unity. This honors God. What if followers of Jesus were the least offended people and the best at handling interpersonal relationships and conflicts? But friends, we do not do this in our own strength. We must live out of a bigger story. Communion. This is why we put communion down here. Communion is our weekly practice as a church, a local church, of reminding us of the bigger story and committing to live out of it. We come to one table as one people, one forgiven people. And God restores relationship between us and Him. He does not count our sins against us, but took our sins upon Himself. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Lord, may we be a forgiven people who forgive people. We will not take, we will not take, we will not take the bait of Satan. 